it's even better that we are here and we are not being pursued by the government or anybody else that wants to do us harm. A lot of people in our world can't say that. And it's also good, I'd like for y'all to uh, uh, rejoice with me that my wife is back amongst our group this morning. Um, of course, she's not quite the woman she used to be. <laughs> she doesn't have two original knees. She's got some spare parts in her now, no OEM stuff. Uh, you know, and uh, those of you that have had those kind of surgeries, you know it's quite a gimmick because the guy that diagnoses your problem also sells you the product and installs it and then in charges you to rehab from it. Uh, he's in your pocket every step of the way, but I'm terribly grateful that we live in a day and an age where uh, with a great deal of pain and discomfort as I've watched her go through that they can open your body up and replace parts that have ceased to function and return you back to some level of normalcy. Where that is in your world is different than mine, I'm sure. Normal in my world is a very strange place. So, um, We're gonna continue this morning where we left off last week with angelology because I don't, I don't believe it's fair to just get to the point where we talk about Satan and just stop. I don't think that's fair, I don't think it's right because there's as Paul Harvey used to say, there's more to the story, and then he would say, and now the rest of the story. And those of you that aren't old enough to remember Paul Harvey, I'm envious. Um, but when we talk about angels, and we talk about Satan, and we talk about demons, we have to be very careful to understand that our understanding and what we truly know about these creatures is limited strictly to what we find in Scripture, which is sufficient. There is nothing lacking in the Word of God. Our perception of what we see and what we think and how we go about transferring that information into our hearts, we have the tendency to sometimes to want to run back to Hollywood. It's kind of like when uh, you think about uh, the Ten Commandments, all of us kind of see Charlton Heston standing in front of the Red Sea, parting the Red Sea when he was Moses. We need to be careful to apply strictly what God's Word says to the following subjects, not to allow social commentary, concepts and ideas that the world has placed upon this. First off, let's be honest, Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. He is very much involved in the day-to-day -day existence, the day-to-day -day functioning of all that is happening here on our planet. And with that being mine, let's approach the throne of the one who truly has all authority over all things. Join with me as we pray. Father God, we're grateful for, frankly, for your forgiveness and how even when we were at our worst, you redeemed us. Your word says that in that while we were yet sinners, your son died for us and purchased us, and we are truly grateful for that. And now as we open your word and we look at the enemy, the evil one, and his minions, we would ask, Lord, that you would temper our hearts 
Allow our ears to hear, allow our hearts to hear, allow our lives to be changed. And Lord, we thank you, not because we are worthy, but because you are worthy. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I believe the last time we gathered, which oddly enough was last week, we had just kind of broke into the subject of Satan. And those of you that have last week's notes, um, it would have been on page five. And once again, I outdid myself. I've added four more pages to the handout, so I still have the record. I have nine pages of handouts. I dare any of you other teachers to do better. What does that make, make you have to go to the bathroom? Um, somebody asked me last week what that gurgling sound was, and I said, I think it's my stomach. Um, we talked about Satan and his fall and him being judged. And, and I went back over this la- this week. Um, and I think for me, as, as I've considered, I think one of those that really spoke the highest to me was that the judgment that was pr- pronounced on him of garden in the Garden of Eden. And I think uh, Miranda hit it pretty well when she said maybe that's why all of us, most of us are afraid of snakes. Um, snakes don't bother me nearly as much as their counterpart, the spider. Um, I can kind of handle snakes. Um, spiders just freak me out. Um, I just don't do real well with those. But God pronounced a judgment upon Satan for his sin, and his sin was pride. Okay, this is, you're allowed to talk, not to each other, but to me, okay? Um, I had to, I was substitute teaching one time and had to explain that to a class. Look, I say when you're allowed to talk, that doesn't mean to each other. Of course, it was a bunch of electricians, so they didn't stand a chance. Um, But what does Satan do? What is his primary function in our world? Satan's avowed purpose is to thwart the plan of God in every area and by every means possible. His goal is to discredit and to cast a shadow across everything God has done. His goal is to make us ineffective is to cause strife and discontent. His goal is to make us to where we cannot witness and share what Christ has done in our lives. His goal was to steal the glory from God. How many of you are aware of what's going on in our world right now in regards from good and evil? How many of you have watched the news and went, I can't believe that's considered normal or okay? Every time I watch the news, I get about five minutes into it, and I tell Tony, I just can't do this anymore, okay? When it's wrong for a man to stand up and say, I am a man, I am a male by birth, and that's the way God intended me to be, and you are not a male, you are a female, that's the way God intended you to be, and somebody stands up and says, you're wrong, that's the wrong thing to say. And they're considered right, and you're considered wrong. The reason that I think that's so important in this discussion is, is because Satan has blinded people's eyes to the truth. Everybody wants what they want without any thought about what is truly right and is truly wrong. Satan does all he can to muddy the waters at every turn. 
He is involved in promoting a kingdom whose characteristics are the exact opposite to God's rule. He seeks to counterfeit God's program at every turn. Think of all the different ways that churches have left the true meaning and preaching of the gospel. We've talked about this in some of our leaders' meetings. How many of you have been to a church where the entire back of the church is blacked out and they have these great big screens and they got lights coming up, not just for ambiance, but light show. And some of them even have smoke that rolls out from the stage like a rock concert. And the music's allowed that you walk out with your ears are ringing. And yet the content in the preaching is nil. It would be like going to the world. I don't, are there any vegans here? Okay, uh, you might want to close your ears then. It would be like going to the world's greatest steak restaurant and settling for a salad and a bowl of water. Because they had the opportunity to do the right thing, the opportunity to preach the true gospel, and yet they chose for all the other things that go along with it. And their message is shallow and hollow and it's self-centered and it's about self-improvement and it's about meeting social issues and social causes, quite frankly, the church is not a social organization. If you're looking to change your world society-wise, start with your own self first. Start with the way you think. Start the way you act, the way you care for your neighbors, the way you teach your children, the way you care for each other. That's how you truly change the world. God's plan is that the Word would come and dwell in our hearts and we would come to know Christ, and then we would change, and then as we change, we change the world around us. Satan says it's much different. He wants to try to change the world in his image. In relationship to the redemption of Christ, which should be number one on page five, I think it's, you guys probably have page five, right? Yeah, I think you guys start with page five. I don't know, my notes look a lot different than yours. Thank you. See, you're allowed to talk. I didn't yell at you or nothing, did I? Okay, page five. In relationship to the redemption of Christ, Satan tried in the temptation to offer him a redemption without the suffering of the cross. He tried to get him to violate the plan that God had established from the beginning of time by promising him no pain. How many of you can honestly say in your Christian lives you have experienced pain? And I'm not talking about like what my wife just went through or what many of you have been through in surgery. I'm talking about the pain of being um, ostracized, maybe losing your job, having family mem members and children that don't want to speak to you anymore, don't want to be a part of your world. You walk in a room, they quit talking. You know, you always think they're talking about you. Maybe they were, maybe they won't. But he offered him a way to try to do the redemption without the suffering. In relationship to the world, to the nations of the world, Satan has been and is deceiving them, particularly into thinking they can do what God alone can do. Can we fix all the problems in the world? How many of you can fix your own problems? How many of you can fix your computer? <laughs> I made coffee this morning. I 
Felt pretty good. I made coffee and fixed Tony a cup of coffee. The first cup had spoiled creamer in it. You know how I know? It was lumpy. I thought it was frozen. I poured it out. Did not give it to her. I love her. We cannot fix the world's problems. Only God can fix the world's problem. I don't care how much money you throw at societal and sin-based issues, you are not going to fix what is wrong with this world. This world is dying. Satan is slowly choking the life out of this world because God is allowing him to do that. That's part of God's plan. And at the close of the tribulation period, Revelation 16, verses 13 through 14, he will gather an army together in this place called the Battle of Armageddon. So he is going to face, he is going to do his best to thwart God's plan at every turn. To unbelievers, in relation to unbelievers, Satan blinds their minds so that they will not accept the gospel. How many of you have shared the gospel just to have somebody look at you with that 100-yard stare? You know, that you can just tell that no matter what you say to them, it's just not getting through. It's like they got this big force field up in front of them, and they don't want to hear it. They can't believe it. Um, I've had guys, you know, tell me you don't believe that. Oh, I absolutely believe that. You can't believe that. But I do believe that. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. No, on the outside it may appear that way. But once you get beyond, once you get beyond the fact that you need what Christ offers, it makes complete sense. And Satan will blind their eyes. He will offer them, uh, he will show them things that are contrary to God's word that he thinks are going to make them want to not accept Christ, to lead them away. And then number four, in relationship to the believer, Satan will tempt him to lie, Acts 5.3. You ever been tempted just to kind of hide behind a little white lie? I've done it. Come on, if, am I the only guy in the room? Well, I mean, there's more than one guy in the room, but am I the only person in the room that has ever been tempted to tell a lie, a lie to cover themselves? Okay, so I'm the bad guy. I, I, I admit it, I've been tempted, okay? And quite frankly, I'll be honest with you, I've succumbed. And it seems like when you're the only guy in the room that's telling the truth, sometimes, man, it just you just want to run and hide. The believer is tempted to lie, and then bees will accuse and slander him. I have been accused of all kinds of horrible things in my Christian life. Satan is at work in the very heart of all the things that are done against you. Then see, he hinders his work for God in any way possible. We, um, we face the challenge of not only dealing with interpersonal relationships, but we also have the influence of Satan coming against us. And that's why I think sometimes in the church environment we have so many people that get their, their feelings hurt is because they're unwilling to see beyond the involvement of the evil one in all that's going on and realize that God is trying to proof them and change them and grow them and Satan is trying to fight that and to thwart that so they don't have that advancement in their lives. How many of you are in the same spot today spiritually you were 10 years ago? I hope none of you can say that. Should be moving forward and what does that mean? That means that you learn to forgive, you learn to read, you learn to pray, you learn to balance your life, you learn to do those things that God has commanded us to do. Satan will tell you that none of those things are important also create all kinds of problems in our life.
He will also employ demons in D to try to defeat him. Ephesians 6, 11, and 12, my mom, when mom was still teaching here at JIBC, she taught the ladies for years. Tony and I would have a problem and she'd say, let me, let me see your hand. Last time she said that, I got smacked. She'd write on my hands. She'd go, Ephesians 6, 11, and 12. Somebody want to read that for us? Someone, anyone, I don't even care what translation you're covering. Unless you're going to read it in Greek or Hebrew, and then please spare me. I, someone in English. So if God tells us in the word that he has given us these things to use because the enemy is against us, then you can bet Satan is the driver behind it. He's the guy that's coming up against you. He also tempts us to immorality. He tempts us with things that he knows God would not approve of. Frankly, about a half hour of TV and you will realize exactly what he's saying. And I'm not anti-TV, okay? Get me, don't get me wrong. There are some decent things on TV. There's a whole lot of trash. Um, there's a whole lot of things on there that you just don't need to see. I long have said that I think social media is the greatest bane that ever hit our society. I think it's a destroyer of families and lives. He sows terrors among the believers in order to deceive. That's why when we do an interview for membership and we talk to folks about membership, we very clearly want to know what their relationship with the Lord is. We want to know where they're at spiritually because we don't want to introduce something into the congregation, into this group of believers that isn't from God himself, that isn't positive. We want believers, we want folks that have trusted Christ, that have come to that point of regeneration where the Holy Spirit indwells them because we know that when you begin to introduce people that aren't saved into a church body, it will have a markedly negative effect on the way the group thinks. It's, it's not because we're mean-spirited or unloving, uncaring. It's just because it is our goal and our desire and our charge to protect the flock. And then, gee, sometimes he incites persecution against us. He is always involved in trying to get us to do good things but not the best things. And what is the best thing a church can do? What's the best thing a church can do? Love one another? Love one another? I'm going I'm to agree with you in many ways, but I think the best thing we can do is to stand firm on the Word of God, to preach the Word of God unapologetically and without any kind of filter. This church has long preached expositorily, which means line after line, page after page, chapter after chapter, book after book. Okay, why? Because when you start cherry-picking verses to preach, you are going to build a doctrine that's not, that's not complete. Pastor Dan, Pastor Andy, and the rest of the elders, we have chosen to continue down that path to preach stuff that is complicated and hard. Let's face it, there's parts of Scripture that are pretty hard to understand. And it's kind of funny when Pastor Dan gets one of those, because we'll see him through the week, and he'll be banging his head on the wall trying to figure out what it all means. 
And, uh, and then on Sunday morning, we watch God pull from him the things that he has put into him. Satan is constantly trying to get us to only do the good things and not what is the best. What is our defense, the believer's defense against Satan? In the New Testament, we're told that the Lord lives in heaven to make intercession for his people. So we have this fantastic resource called Christ that we can go to and we can pray and we can ask and ask him to come and intercede on our behalf. And God will, as it is his will and plan in our lives, if it meets his perfect will, will intercede and act on our behalf. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes God's answer is no. No is not always a negative answer. Sometimes God desires for us to go through the tough times. The believer should also realize that on occasion God may use Satan to teach a particular lesson. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, he asked God to take this, this thing away from him and he said no. He said it's there for a reason. You've got to remember in the idea of providence, God uses all of creation, everything at his disposal for his will and his glory. Think about what happened to Moses and all that Moses went through. And then even to the point where he put Moses in Pharaoh's house and taught him. And Moses became the deliverer that brought Israel out of bondage. God uses everything in his disposal for his glory. And that means because Satan is a created being, that he is just a fallen angel, that he is one of the tools that God will use to accomplish his tasks. I know it doesn't seem feasible, but that's the truth. If God is truly God and truly omnipotent, then he has the ability and the authority and the power to use anything he desires to accomplish his will. It's also important we have the, the necessary, it's necessary to have the proper attitude towards Satan. Um, let's be more honest, he's a powerful creature. When we were in Haiti, uh, 2008, we were, headed, we were headed out to Boca, which imagine, imagine a desolate crossroad out in the middle of the country and then take the least traveled, rutty road you can think of and turn right and follow it until it becomes a uh, donkey path. And then it comes to a creek bed and the elders of the church show up and say, well, come this way, we've cleared you a path. And I didn't see a path. There was some huge rocks on the way and we got through it. But on the way there, we passed a witch doctor's house had all these flags flying, flying in front of it. And on the way back, we stopped and took a couple of pictures and our guide told us we had to be very careful because evil was very strong. And you know, kind of full of bravado, ha, ha, ha. And then he showed us this rock that sat out in this little inlet and it was a beautiful rock. It looked like the kind of place you'd see in a movie. And he told us that there was a group of uh, college age kids had come down on a missions trip and was going to show the natives just how powerful their God truly was as compared to Satan. So they took a little boat out to this rock and got up on top of it and was going to spend the night. It was going to go out and spend the night and then in the morning they were going to show the, the native Haitians who were wrapped up in voodoo and all this occult uh, how powerful their God was. In the morning they were all gone. They were dead. In the middle of the night something had happened and they all lost their lives. And Tim, our guide's admission to us was, 
be very careful when you think you're more powerful than Satan because he's an awful strong enemy. He's awful powerful. God is more powerful and stronger, but unless you are absolutely certain of God's will, Satan will overpower you, okay? And that was his point to us, was don't, don't take this stuff lightly. And then, then the witch doctor's place was kind of creepy too. You could just kind of get the vibe that it was just, this was an evil place. The believer should be informed, thereby alert Satan's attacks. By all means, you're not going to see the devil around every corner. Your car breaks down, chances are it's not the devil. Okay, if your car breaks down, it's not the devil. If your computer quits working, it may be the devil. Okay, <laughs> especially if you have a Windows machine. Okay, um, but the devil's not around every corner. But the devil has great influence. Um, your boss is probably not the devil. Your spouse is not the devil. Your teenage children are not the devil. But he has an influence in everything in our world. We need to take a defensive stand against him in James 7. And then also, in, like I said, in um, Ephesians 6, we have tools and armor God has given us to protect ourselves from him. And now, the doctrine of demons. Let's, uh, let's do a couple of quick disclosures here. I do not have all the answers for all the questions that you may have. I don't think anybody truly does. I don't think Spurgeon, Ryrie, MacArthur, I don't think anybody has all the answers. I think what we have is what God has given us in his word. The origin of demons has been a matter of speculation for centuries. I think I put this in the handout. Not only among Christian thinkers, but also among the heathen. Uh, the Greeks said they were the souls of the departed evil people. No. Uh, some have said they thought they were the uh, disembodied spirits of a pre-Adamic race. If you don't know what that means, that means a race that was supposedly on earth before Adam. I don't believe that. Nowhere in scripture does it give us any hint that there may have been someone before Adam. Um, some, there's a commentator named uh, Dake. He's a whack job. He, uh, he purported the idea of a pre-Adamic race based upon one word in the book of Genesis. Um, more likely demons are angels who fell with Satan, who is called the prince of demons. However, it's quite clear in the Bible that there are two groups of fallen angels. One of them certain, have a certain freedom to oppose God and the others are held in confinement. Those are the ones God has sealed and put away. They are the ones it is believed to be the ones referred to in Genesis 6, 2 through 4, where uh, the angels Nephilim came down and took brides among uh, the daughters of humans, and uh, God judged them severely, and they are being held in captivity. Still, what we know about demons from Scripture is they are in the same order of angels. They possess the same characteristics. It doesn't mean they're omnipresent, the exact opposite is. They are localized at any given moment. Notice the demon in Matthew 17, 18 is called an unclean spirit. So I think that's a rather fitting definition for that which we are dealing with. 17, 18. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, The demon came out of him, and the boy was cried at once. 
part of that is, is that demon, the demon is also in, in other points referred to as an unclean spirit. Um, demons like angels and Satan display a great deal of intelligence. Let's be honest here. These are not mindless creatures. These are creatures that are very smart. They have intellect. They understand. They know things. They have certain abilities that you and I will never have because we were made a little lower than the angels, although we have a redeemable spirit, and they do not. Uh, they know their eventual, um, their eventual doom. They knew who Jesus was in Mark uh, 1.24, and they are acquainted with the plan of salvation. So these are not just mindless creatures to fly around creating havoc. These are creatures that are intelligent, they're smart, they have a plan, they have a desire, they have a goal, they have a leader, there's a hierarchy to them. This is, this is a unified force that comes up against all that God stands for. Okay, this isn't just a bunch of people running around in pickup trucks, if you will, trying to convince the world that they're right. These guys, they know what's going on. They're sly, they're crafty, they're intelligent. So we need to, when dealing with this issue, we need to remember that these are creatures that are a little above us in many ways that are going to have insights to the world that you and I cannot have. You've often heard people say, boy, I wish I was a fly on the wall in that meeting. How many times have you really wanted to know what was going on behind that door? Like sometimes in the White House, sometimes at the Pentagon, sometimes literally just in the other room. What's going on? These guys have knowledge that we will not have. But what do they do? Like Satan, they attempt to thwart the very purposes of God in every way. In particular, demons can inflict diseases. They have great influence. They can possess animals. And they produce and promote false doctrines. They're active. They are not waiting on the sidelines for things to happen. They are involved. So, kind of like the angels from last week where they have a hierarchy and they are busy and there's some degree of um, control about how things are done and they have a managed plan. The picture here is the same, I believe, with demons in that we also, as Christians, should have much the same thing. We should have some control and some organization and some direction as to what we're doing because our enemy is very much involved in the exact same way. They have a plan. You know, I'm a great one for desiring to do things. The wife and I, I've had this wonderful plan to take three of my granddaughters on a trip to West Virginia, okay? Just because I like West Virginia. It's a beautiful place. Anybody ever been there? Other than like driving through on Route 77? We spent some years there, and man, it's just, just, just drop-dead beautiful. And she asked me last the other night, she said, so what's your plans for this trip? Well, I don't know. I just kind of thought we'd go hang out. 13 years old, 10 years old, 6 years old. Probably ought to put a little more thought into that because those three ages traditionally just don't like to go and hang out and ride around the car all the time. Um, but I made sure where we were staying had a swimming pool, okay? So we're good. And demons aren't like that. They aren't like me. They aren't seat-of-the-pants kind of guys. They have a plan. They have a goal. They have uh, an idea of what they want to accomplish. Demons are also involved in the affairs of the nations. 
what I see going on in the Middle East right now just absolutely scares me because of what I see happening in our country, the way I see people being polarized, the way I see folks turning their back on Israel, the way I see things happening and the way the world is continually characterizing Israel as the aggressor, which I don't believe they are. Angels and demons, in particular demons, have influence on the backside. They move people and nations to do things. And of course, they're only allowed to do what God allows them to do. That's the great qualifier. Then the question du jour, is there such thing as demon possession? What do you think? I never saw the movie The Exorcist, so I can't use that as a reference. How many of you believe that a person can be demon-possessed? Leave your in-laws out of this, okay? <laughs> I believe, and I believe Scripture would show that, that a person can be possessed of a demon because the demon dwells within them and controls them. The demoniac, remember? Jesus cast out the demons from the demoniac. Very real. How do we determine if somebody is demon-possessed? It's not easy. But you will see the actions and their attitudes and their behavior manifested in such a way that I don't believe it will be as easy to spot as you would think. Because the devil's sly. The demons are sly. They don't want you to know. They don't want you to know that there's a problem here. They work in the, in the anonymous. They work in the stealth. They work behind the scenes. But every now and then, they will use people in such a way that it becomes apparent. Okay? Demon possession seems to mean that a demon or demons reside within a body, exerting direct control of that person's mind and or body. But there's a difference between demon-possessed and demon-influenced or controlled. The possession operates within the person. Okay, and from inside that person flows that which the demon desires for them to do. Demon-influenced is from the outside urging and pushing people to do things that appear to be demonic and overtly evil. I thought about serial killers. I don't know why. But we often look at serial killers down through history and go, man, that dude had to have a demon. And yet at the same time, did they really? Or were they just being pushed along by demons on the outside? Were they just demon-influenced? It's so hard to know the difference. We've had young people come into this church, uh, Pastor Dan and I have dealt with them from time to time, that weren't, that you would have sworn something was amiss and literally as to begin to unfold their lives and work to them, they were just being pushed in, in that direction. Don't think it was on the inside, it was on the outside. They were being influenced. And all of us are influenced by something, okay? Some of you are influenced by coffee. Some of you are influenced by government. Some of you are influenced by your own thought patterns that lead you to come and go and do things. Demonic influence pushes us to do things 
that are not necessarily overtly evil, but are definitely in contrast to God's will. Pursuing what's good instead of what's best. God doesn't want what's good. God wants what's best. It doesn't mean to just do a good amount of study. It means to do the best amount of study. And sometimes quantity becomes the enemy. Well, I sat and read for two hours today. That's great. What did you read? How much of it do you remember? Oh, you read the Minor Prophets. Okay, well, go ahead and tell me all about Haggai or Zephaniah or Zechariah or uh, Hosea. Okay, tell me all about those books. Tell me what you learned in the Minor Prophets. Well, as compared to sitting down for 15 minutes and reading through and literally digesting what God has put in there for us and making it part of your inner thinking and your inner being, good as compared to best. How many of you like steak? I want a good steak. I'll take a small good steak as compared to a big bad steak. God wants us to do what is best. Can a Christian be demon possessed? Can we? Why not? What? So we're already possessed. Okay. I'm not going any further. Bought and paid for? You're saying somebody else holds the title? How many of you would agree with her? You're actually going to agree with my wife? Boy, that's horrifying. That's horrifying. You, you agree with her? No, probably not, honey. Well, I must tell you that I agree with her. I don't believe a Christian, a true Christian, someone who has truly been born again, blood-bought, spirit-filled, can be possessed of a demon. Why? Because the house is full. The house is full. The Holy Spirit is not going to allow a demon to dwell in the same place that he dwells. Not going to happen. So the whole idea of demon influence then comes back into play. You may not be demon possessed as a believer, but you can still be demon influenced. You can be conned into making wrong decisions. You can be tricked into following a rabbit trail. There are a lot of really great parachurch things going on in this world. And I'm not gonna mention any of the particular ministries, but you can become so wrapped up in a one direction, your focus becomes that one thing that you sacrifice everything else that's going on for that one thing, and that may not be the best thing. I believe in a lot of the ministries that we have as the church. I think 99% of them are really good. And if you're not real careful, you can get so wrapped up, let's be honest, you can be so wrapped up in being a trustee, or being a deacon, or being on security, or being in the nursery, or working with a one, or working with a Christmas child, or whatever it is, that you lose focus for everything that's going on. That's very similar to a demon influence. I'm not saying that if you're involved with uh, Awana that you're demon influenced. I'm using as an example. You can be led, not overtly, but rather covertly down a road that takes you away from what's best to what's good. And God desires us to do what is best Yes, we can be influenced. You can be influenced to do all kinds of strange things with your life. You might be convinced that God wants you to do something in your life that everybody that knows you 
who understands what's going on says, you know, you might not want to do that. And when you explain to them why, they just kind of abandon ship on you and say, well, I believe God wants me to do that. But it's rather clear that it's their desire or something else pushing them. I'm not saying that because I've, um, I'm saying that because I've seen it happen in my own life. That I've become so convinced God wants me to do something and when I finally get there to do it, I realize that it was more my idea than, than God's. And that's pretty humbling because then you're into it deep. You're, you're clear up to your hips in the swamp trying to drain it and the alligators are chomping pretty hard at your backside. Okay, by that time you're in trouble. But what is the destination of the demons? The demons, some of them are temporarily confined. They're all headed into the lake of fire with their boss, Satan. That's their final destination. That's the place God prepared for them. They're going to spend an eternity there where they will no longer have an effect on us. They will no longer have any influence on us. They will no longer cause heartbreak and strife and sickness and disease. They will be contained and confined forevermore, paying the penalty for the sin that they caused in so many people's lives. And it all started because Satan said, I shall ascend and be like the Most High. I will take his place on the throne. When Lucifer was created, he was said to be the most beautiful angel God ever created. He was adorned with jewels. He was at the top of the heap. He was the leader of the class. He was the number one. He would, he, if you will, he was the Tiger Woods of the angel world. There was none better. And he fell. And when he did, he took all of these angels with him and they became the demons. Point being, if we look at the angels and we consider them, we need to look at ourselves and consider ourselves as well. Am I prone to make the same mistake that they have had? To think higher of myself than I should? To put those things around me in such small portions, such small importance that I think I can overcome them all. And we will be lost in that sin. Not lost for eternity, but you will become so caught up in it that you may not find your way out of it. Okay. Demons are real. Not all of them live in Washington. Some of them do. Some of them live in California, New York, Detroit, Chicago, Johnstown, Ohio. They're everywhere. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful, Lord. Uh, we don't have all the answers. We know you do. We understand that you are in complete control, that all that will happen in this world is happening because you have permitted it. Some of it you have orchestrated, you have allowed it to happen, and you've done it because eventually it will bring glory and honor and praise to you. Lord, we thank you for that sure thing. And we ask today, as this day unfolds, in this very room and in this building, that we would glorify you in all that we say or do. In Christ's name, amen.